Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today I'll be reading from my book, Courage, How to Make This Life Count. You can find this book by going to Amazon and typing in Rob Skinner in the search bar. You'll find this book as well as my first book, which is entitled How to Plant and Grow a Church. Really hope you're enjoying this reading and the podcast. Before I jump into the book, I'd like to remind you of a church planting that I'm organizing in the summer of 2021. We're planting a church in Flagstaff, Arizona. Flagstaff is a beautiful city. It's located up in the Pines at about 7,000 feet elevation. It's a gorgeous part of northern Arizona, close to the Grand Canyon. We're looking for a mission team leader. We're looking for mission team members. We're looking for families that would like to move there, singles, campus, who'd like to transfer there to Northern Arizona University. It's going to be an exciting time. This next summer, we're going to be team building as we gather the team. This is going to be about three months of pre-inaugural fun and team building, family creating activities, uh, prayer. Of course, evangelism will be a part of it, but just building an awesome spiritual team so that we can take the gospel to that part of Arizona. There's currently about 12 disciples there. My goal is to double that number with the mission team. I'd like to start somewhere between 25 and 30 disciples. We're going to have our inaugural service in September of 2021, right when school starts. And for that service, we'll have all the disciples from Phoenix and Tucson gather there, as many as possible, hoping to have a service of about, oh, 300, 400, 500 or more, and just have a great kickoff. So if you're interested in joining that, or if you'd like to support it, or join the prayer team to pray for it, uh, I'd like to ask you to reach out to me. You can reach out to me through my website, robskinner.com. You can email me at rob at tucsonchurchofchrist.org. That's tucsonchurchofchrist.org. Tucson spelled T-U-C-S-O-N. But I look forward to hearing from you, and a lot of people have responded. It's exciting the way it's it's growing and building. So I think God's going to do something totally awesome, totally convinced of that. Let's go ahead and get into the book today. This is the second to last chapter in my book, Courage, How to Make This Life Count. And the title of this chapter is called Courage, to Take Risks and Walk Your Own Path. One of my favorite scenes of a movie is found in the original Thor movie. Thor has lost his hammer and his powers and must face the destroyer alone. In a scene reminiscent of High Noon, Thor tells his friends that he quote-unquote has a plan and in slow motion walks down the main street to face certain death. He gets clobbered by the monster, but because of his courage and growing humility to meet his evil brother Loki, he unlocks the power to weed to wield Mjolnir, the hammer of power. Like Thor, you can't wait for a superpower to come to your rescue. Here's the plan. Face your fears with what you've got today. The strength will come later after you decide to act. God would tell you the same thing he commanded Gideon. Go in the strength you have. If you had a superpower, you wouldn't need God or faith to rely on his power. When you reach an inflection point, God leaves the decision to move forward in weakness up to you. By most frightening decision, 
planting a church in my hometown. I reached a defining moment in the summer of 2004. Structure, authority, and direction broke down in my family of churches. Drama drove conversations in church and sidelined the mission. At the same time, I felt the urge to plant a church in my hometown of Ashland, Oregon, population 20,000. My mom, sister, and brother lived there. And I had prayed for 18 years that God would plant a dynamic church of disciples there. When I surveyed the wreckage of the church situation, I fretted that there was no mission plan to plant a church there. No money, no leadership, or structure to make it happen. It slowly dawned on me that if I wanted to plant a church there, I would have to do it. At the same time, I came across this quote from John Eldridge. He said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. The world really didn't need a new church in a small southern Oregon town, but I did. The thought of bringing my family to church there and worshiping God together absolutely fired my spirit. Just the possibility of it made me come alive when I felt my spirit was failing. Fear fear set in along with excitement. I wondered how I would support my family, how I could start over in a new career at 38 years old. I wondered how I could start a church with no mission team, no money, no sponsoring church or family of churches. I simply didn't have answers to all the questions that came to mind. I just knew it was right. I looked at the chaotic, unstructured church situation around me and figured that this was the perfect environment to experiment with a new way to plant churches. There was no one in charge to shut down a crazy idea. A few months later, I had resigned from the church I was leading, packed up my family of five in two U-Haul trucks, and drove 500 miles across the eastern Oregon desert to my promised land. You have a road to walk for God. When you look back on your life, Take a look at the ideas, desires, and prayers you've carried with you for the longest. There are some dreams, ambitions, and hopes you've carried with you since your childhood. Ask yourself, what makes me come alive? And then, why am I not doing it? I love Gideon's story in Judges chapter 6, verse 11 through 16. He lost his courage, his self-esteem. He was eking out a living, threshing wheat in a wine press. When an angel appeared to him, referred to him as a quote-unquote mighty warrior, Gideon referred to his past, his family, and his current circumstances and questioned the angel's assessment. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. When Gideon took inventory of his circumstances, past, family, and self-view, He staggered under heavy faithlessness, fear, and indecision. God called Gideon to get his eyes on God and what God could do despite Gideon's weakness. Luckily, Gideon answered the call 
And at that, that decision to act in the face of fear is what put him in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. What to do when you've lost your way and your courage. You might be stuck in a wine press right now, slogging through discouraging circumstances, angrily stamping missed opportunities, less than glorious outcomes, and lost time. At the same time, God has preserved in you a secret chamber that holds your life ambitions. He's calling you to open up that treasure chest of broken dreams and go after them. He's telling you to go in the strength you have. You'll need to start where you're at with what you have. Fear of not knowing all the answers up front keeps us from stepping out on faith. I remember lying in bed with my mom the night before first grade. I started crying. Honey, why are you crying? She asked. Because I'm going to school tomorrow. And I don't even know how to read, I answered. Oh, honey, that's why you're going. They'll teach you, she, she soothed. Any major undertaking you dream of is going to force you to learn as you go. Starting a new business or church, learning a new skill or hobby, or even writing a book demands that you feel your way forward. Anne Lamott nails this concept when she writes, E.L. Doctorow said once that writing a novel is like driving a car at night. You can only see as far as your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. You don't have to see where you're going. You don't have to see your destination or everything you'll pass along the way. You just have to see the two or three feet ahead of you. This is right up there with the best advice on writing or life I have ever heard. Decide to do what you're called to do and then figure out how to do it as you go. That's the only way to live by faith. Anything that you look back on with pride and satisfaction will have started with a fog of fear and a cloud of unknowing. My simple advice is to commit and go. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there's one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that never otherwise would have occurred. A whole stream of, of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no man could have dreamed would have come his way. Whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Begin it now. That's a quote attributed to Goethe. Sometimes you're going to need to start with small things to build up to the big things in your life. Gideon gradually built his courage by setting up and knocking down small targets. He laid out a fleece and asked God to work with him to strengthen his faith. When God called him to destroy a pagan altar, Gideon rose to the challenge. Only after these two minor victories did he move on to God's ultimate plan, the destruction of Midian's army. I started overcoming inertia by looking at the ordinary, almost unseen habits and annoyances that I was avoiding, such as reluctance to make phone calls or talk on the phone. It seems funny that a minister in the business of people would hesitate to use the phone. Yet, I waited to call people, encourage others, or ask for help when I needed it. 
I realized that this character trait was limiting my leadership. I made a simple goal of making 10 calls a day. It's still tough at times to make that first call, but once I do, the satisfaction of overcoming personal resistance rewards me. Resistance to repairing broken appliances and deferred house maintenance. I've had to force myself to attack attack obvious and needed repairs that I was overlooking. How about fear of the dark? I noticed that I was afraid of the dark. I confronted this fear by asking my wife to drop me off in the wilderness about an hour outside of Tucson. I hiked in 15 more miles and set up camp. No one around, no light by my headlamp. As I cooked dinner, I noticed two red eyes staring back at me from the perimeter of of my camp. Cougar? Bear? Images flashed in my head of sheriffs asking my wife to identify the mauled and picked over body of her husband. Yes, that's him. I recognize his teeth, she sobs as the deputy keeps her from falling. Anyway, back to the story. The eyes burned red as they got closer. I stood up to meet the threat and breathed a sigh of relief when I realized it was only a skunk. I waved it off and spent the rest of the night in peace. Since then, I've gone on more solo trips and the fear of the dark has never been an issue. How about unrealized bucket list items? I've always had a fear of heights. One of my low moments was when Pam and I were working in Japan as missionaries. We'd flown to Indonesia for an all-Asia leadership conference. Frank, the leader of the church I was working in, decided to do a team-building exercise. We went to a resort that offered bungee jumping. The The resort overlooked the beach and the palm trees. Warm breeze and view were magical. Towering over the palms was a giant tower that looked like an oversized erector set. The latticed metal frame rose 147 feet and seemed to be swaying along with the trees. I felt myself losing balance at the base of the tower just by looking up. All the other staff guys paid their money and started climbing up the rickety-looking tower. I shook my head and said no. At the top, they were connected to a rubber rope and told to walk the plank on a 10-foot diving board directly over a swimming pool. I watched as staff buddy after staff buddy did their best Johnny Weissmuller imitation. Some asked the employees to lengthen the rope so that they could penetrate the surface of the water with their heads. I could just see the splash of water and hear their hoots as the cord pulled them back halfway up the tower. My wife didn't say much to me. She just gave me a little pat and joined the women circle on their chase lounges, encouraging their husbands. More recently, I noticed that one bucket list activity kept getting deferred to the next year, skydiving. Every year I'd written it down as a New Year goal, and at the end of that same year, I'd see it, untouched, untried, and untamed. There was always a reason I hesitated, the most common being, I shouldn't do that while my kids are in school. In December of 2019, the last of my three kids graduated from the University of Arizona. That marked a milestone in my life. I've helped my kids get educated, and now they all had full-time jobs. I looked at that neglected goal and asked myself, why not now? If I die, my kids will be fine. But I knew how tricky and squirrely I could be in running from challenges. I knew without a forcing mechanism, I would never do it. It started, I started asking around to friends and family if anyone would be interested in skiving. Most said, heck no. But a few said yes, and I told them I wanted to do it. It turns out that the largest skydiving jump center 
in the world is less than an hour away from my house. I went online and made a reservation for four people to go skydiving. I put my credit card information down and the emails of my friends. Then I hit the submit button. That night I got texts from my daughter and two friends. They were fired up. I was nervous. I thought, oh no, now I can't back out of this. As we climbed into the airplane on February 15th, 2020, lyrics from an old church spiritual came to mind. No turning back, no turning back. We squeezed onto two benches on either side of the fuselage. I had a hard time staying upright as the plane plane climbed aggressively. My personal jump master showing me his altimeter watch every few minutes, 7,000 feet, 9,000, 11,000, 12,000, 13,000 feet. I tried to keep my game face on because my daughter faced me. Then we started sliding along the benches to the back of the plane. There was a gaping hole in the side and a door that reminded me of an automatic garage door. They slid it open and people started disappearing through the door. I thought, this is really happening. I can't turn back. I am going to do this. My jump master kept pushing me from behind as we scuttled toward toward the door. I felt like I was moving down a long tunnel with a white light at the end of it. I watched as the person before me started big in the door and then became a tiny little dot as she raced toward the earth. Finally, it was my turn. I squat walked up to the door with my instructor stuck fast to my back. He gave me the prearranged count as we rocked back and forth. One, two, three. He pushed from behind as the blast of air hit me from the right. Before jump day, I had Googled how to prepare for your first skydive. I was reassured to read, the advi- to read the advice given by several experts. Number one, you won't experience a quote-unquote stomach drop when you leave the plane. Number two, skydiving is more like flying than falling. I recalled those words in the nanosecond it took for me to accelerate to terminal velocity, which is 120 miles an hour. My stomach dropped, and I thought, I am falling like a rock. I'm not falling. I'm not flying at all. We fell from 13,000 feet to 5,000 feet in about a minute. The air at that altitude froze every exposed piece of skin. The 120 miles an hour wind chill compounded the cold. Now I understood why all the instructors on board the plane had pulled out and slid on baklavas over their head and neck before jumping. I had to give the skydiving industry credit for their marketing prowess in spinning a kamikaze dive into a gentle descent from the heavens. At 5,000 feet, I heard some noise behind me and then felt a dramatic jerk on my crotch. The parachute billowed out and slowed our fall from 120 miles to 17 miles per hour in less than three seconds. I felt the impact of four Gs, or 760 pounds, test the strength of the straps cinched around my center of gravity. I flailed like a rag doll. The next few minutes was relatively peaceful as we glided down, corkscrewing at times to a smooth landing on the grass landing field. In any case, that bucket list item has now a check mark next to it on my list. Would I do it again? Maybe. What matters more to me is that I faced something that I was afraid of and wrestled it to the ground. Build your courage to act by listing out smaller, more manageable challenges. List out what you're afraid of. Avoiding, annoyed by, nagged by, 
irritated by, always talked about doing but keep putting it off. Bucket list items. There's only one way to become a more courageous person. Identify your fear and confront it directly. I find inspiration from Theodore Roosevelt's life. Because he started life as a weak and chronically ill child, he forced himself to develop strength and courage by creating a personal program to make him a man of action. As he shared in his autobiography, there were all kinds of things I was afraid of at first, ranging from grizzly bears to mean horses and gunfighters. But by acting as if I was not afraid, I gradually ceased to be afraid. Most men can have the same experience if they choose. You can have that same experience. You must choose to be courageous and walk your own path. No one will force you to walk it. No one will fight for your dreams or your bucket list. When David was in the cave running from Saul, fearful for his life, he struggled with his courage. Yet God knew that David would someday be the king of Israel, Israel's singer of songs. David faced his fears and called out to God in faith. I cry out to God most high, to God, who will fulfill his purpose for me. Psalm 57 verse 2, New Living Translation. The purpose God has for you is amazing and beyond anything you could currently imagine. But the price of that purpose will be your overcoming hesitations and uncertainty. Ask God, tackle the small things, and watch Him fulfill His purpose for your life. Gut check. Make a list of a few small things that you can tackle immediately to gain momentum and confidence. Secondly, look at your bucket list. What have you been avoiding? Create a forcing mechanism to cause you to act and not back out. Get others involved. Let others know what you're trying to do. Set a date and check it off your list. I want to thank you so much for joining me today on the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I hope you have a great day and make this life count.